0: 1 Peter chapter 1 verses 1 through 12 and then we're spend most of our time on 6 through 12 but we started our series a few weeks ago looking at this book and Peter says this in 1 Peter chapter 1 Verses 1-12, through Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father and the sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with his blood, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. (coughs) Excuse me. things into which angels long to look. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the hope that we have in it and the great salvation that we receive from it through Jesus Christ. So now, Holy Spirit, I pray that you just help us and let the words of my mouth and the meditations of our heart be acceptable to you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Last Sunday, Easter Sunday in Pakistan, a crisp spring day, some of the city's Christian population mingled with their Muslim neighbors, celebrating in a neighborhood park, taking their kids on rides or pushing them on swings. And then suddenly tragedy took place. Last Sunday, sixty-nine over se- about 70 people were killed, over 400 injured. On an attack with Christians on Christians, they those who did it claimed. But I loved how CNN wrote that article at the beginning. As tragic as that is, they described it this way: On Easter Sunday, a crisp spring day last week, some of the city's Christian population mingled with their Muslim neighbors, celebrating in a neighborhood park. And that's what the same type of thing was happening when Peter wrote First Peter. Christians have been scattered all over what is now modern-day Turkey. They were ostracized, they were persecuted, they were struggling financially, they were struggling in many ways because of their faith. And Peter wrote this book to them to encourage them in their faith and to help them. Because all over the world today, 1 Peter for many Christians, means a lot more than it does for us. Anywhere persecution has taken place around the world, the book of 1 Peter has been loved by that group of people. And By the way, if you have spent more time reacting to political statements on Facebook or posting political statements on social media instead of praying for the persecuted church or for our leaders... You might want to rethink your priorities. Because as Christians, that's what we're called to do and how we're called and supposed to react. Peter wrote this to a group of Christians who were struggling in any ways. And he wanted to give them some help. Facebook's put together this thing called the safety check. So when all these terrorist things take place around the world now, people can instantly find and find out about their friends and their family and get them connected. And that's what is Peter's trying to do for us as Christians who are going through difficult times or difficult seasons. And someone said that First Peter is the most condensed New Testament resume of the Christian faith and the conduct that it, is, it inspires. That it's a manual for Christians. It's short, it's five chapters, but says everything we need to know about how to live and act and believe as Christians is found in the book of 1 Peter. Martin Luther said, believed it contained all that is necessary for Christians to know, which is why we're studying it as a church. But it's a safety check for us this morning. And this morning, this section in particular, as the beginning of 1 Peter, it's a second safety check for us that we need to live by faith in Christ, how we need to live by faith in Christ. And it's found in looking and leaning deeply into our great salvation, which is what this whole first section of Peter is about. He says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who's giving us this living hope it's the, through the salvation, the resurrection, the salvation of Jesus Christ. Our salvation as Christians is huge. It's big. It's, it's almost impossible just to say it in one sentence. All that our salvation means. But the Bible says we needed to be born again. We needed new birth. We needed life. And we've been giving this living hope, this great salvation that we have. And it's secure and it's real. And it's not a question. I was driving around Samanach last night thinking about my message. Drove past the house, looked up, saw this sign. It was a Cubs sign that said, it's going to happen. That's not living hope. That's not what the Bible kind of hope is talking about. The hope that we have, Peter said, is imperishable. It's undefiled. It's unfading. And it's kept in heaven for you. And then he says, after saying that, all those things about salvation, all those things about this is the inheritance that Christians have through Jesus Christ. This is the living hope that we have. Then he says in verse 6, and everything following is still referring back to everything about this living hope, this great salvation, this inheritance that we're receiving. But he says this to them. He says, in this you rejoice Though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. He understands that life is real. And that for Christians, joy and sorrow are the name of the road that followers of Jesus walk on. If you have a Christianity that believes it's all about just joy, always happiness, always good times, and if it's not that... Then God's not real, your Christianity it doesn't seem right, that's not the Christianity that the Bible describes. If you have a Christianity that's all about sorrow and all the things that are just gloom and doom and pain and difficulty, that's not the Christianity that the Bible describes. The Christianity that the Bible describes is a road of joy and sorrow, and we walk it continually. That's why Paul said in 2 Corinthians 6.10, as sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. The road Christians walk on, is named joy and sorrow, and they're together. And that's the road that we walk on through life, and Peter knows that. And he's saying this to really people who are suffering just like many of us are, and he says this, and this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. And what he's trying to get them to see right at the beginning, what he wants us to see today is that your trials are not meant to trample out Your faith. What you're going through now is not meant to squelch your faith. Your suffering's real. He knows this. You know that. And He says that we will go through various trials as Christians. He doesn't say what they are specifically. For these people, severe persecution was getting ready to come for them. But for us, that may not be your trial today. But you have a various trial. It could be the bully in junior high that's trying to make fun of you and all your friends. It could be the fact that you feel lonely. It could be that you're weary. Your children aren't turning out the way you thought they were. Your marriage isn't going the way you thought it was supposed to go. Your finances have really tanked. Your job isn't promoting. It seems like a no, it just seems like it's monotonous over and over again. You don't seem like you're getting anywhere. It could be a family situation. It could be a health situation. All of those things are real and Peter says, in this you rejoice, having been grieved by various trials. Those trials are real. We suffer as Christians. And the real sufferings. But just like Paul said in 2 Corinthians 4, they are temporary. They're momentary. He says, so we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light, momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Your suffering is not meant to trample out your faith. So when you're going through a difficult time and suffering a various trial, it doesn't mean God's against you. That's the road that Christians walk sorrowful but rejoicing when paul peter says to them so that in this you rejoice that is not a imperative it's not a command he's not saying to them hey in i just told you about this great salvation now in this rejoice rejoice you suffering people who are getting persecuted it's not how he says it at all what he says to them is you have this great salvation and in this you rejoice by speaking it words are powerful and he wants them to see that in this they can rejoice and so can you the trial you're going through whatever various trial it is is not meant to trample out your faith god isn't abandoning you in that trial your suffering is also not without reason he says this is why he says, so the various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory in the end. Your, your suffering's not without reason. The reason why Christians suffer, one of the reasons why, is so we would have this tested, genuine faith. So our faith would be strengthened. One of my heroes is Johnny Erickson Tata. I could talk about Johnny Erickson Tata all day long because her life is such an encouragement. 17 years old, diving, accident, broke her neck. She's been a quadriplegic for over 40 years. Just a couple years ago, she had cancer. And she has lived her life, though, in suffering, in various trials of all kinds. And she, people ask her, you know, if God's so good and if God has the power to do anything, why has he not healed you? And this is what Johnny Erickson said. Those steps following Jesus most often lead Christians not to a miraculous divine interventions, but directly into the fellowship of suffering. In a way, I've been drawn closer to the Savior, even with this breast cancer. There are things about his character that I wasn't seeing a year ago or even six months ago that tells me I'm still growing and still being transformed. When people ask me about healing, I'm less interested in the physical and more interested in healing my heart. Pray that I get rid of my lazy attitude. This is a woman in a wheelchair for 40 years. Pray that I get rid of my lazy attitude about God's word and prayer of brute pride. Set me free from self-centeredness. Those are more important because Jesus thought that they were more important. She said, God will permit what he hates to accomplish what he loves. And we go through sufferings to have our faith tested to see if it's really genuine. Because at that time, gold was the most precious metal. And they would heat it up and they would try to get rid of the dross and get it as fine as it could possibly be. But Peter says, even gold will fade away. But what you want is a faith that is so tested that you understand the great salvation that you've received. And so you'll go through sufferings, you'll go through trials, not to have your faith trampled out, but to test it and help you see it is genuine. Johnny Erickson also said this, she goes, I sure hope I can bring this wheelchair to heaven. I hope to bring it and put it in a little corner. Then in a new, perfect, glorified body, standing on grateful, glorified legs, I'll stand next to my Savior and I'll say, Jesus, do you see the wheelchair? You were right when you said that in this world we will have trouble. Because that thing was a lot of trouble. But I, but the weaker I was in that thing, the harder I leaned on you. And the harder I leaned on you, the stronger I discovered you to be. It would never have happened had you not give me, given me the bruising of the blessing of this wheelchair. The suffering that you're going through, however varied it may be, is not meant to trample out your faith. It's meant to strengthen your faith as a Christian. It's meant to clean up things that need to be cleaned up. But God doesn't overlook it, and he doesn't realize that it's real, and he doesn't intend to us to fake it either. And some of you I know are going through some very tough, difficult times. And I just want to commend a book to you. When you're going through suffering, you don't want to read. It just seems difficult. But I will say this. There is a great little book that I don't called The Red Sea Rules. Very short, very powerful. If I was to write a book, I'd have wrote this. It is, so I commend it to you. I read it a year ago, and it's just great. It helps you through your suffering. They're not meant to try out your faith. Peter knew that, and as a pastor, he was saying, listen, I know you're suffering, but your suffering is meant to strengthen your faith, not to make you lose your faith. And just know this, there's never a holy sigh and there's never a tear that is shed which is lost on God. He sees them all, he knows them all. The Bible says he collects our tears in a bottle. He knows the suffering that we're going through, but it's through our great salvation that we can have comfort in that. It's not meant to take us away, but how do we fight for this joy? How do you you fight for the joy when you're being suffering in various different trials of all kinds? He says this to them, After he recognizes that the suffering's real and how they, how to to deal with it strengthens their faith because they love a Jesus they've never seen. Where Peter had seen Jesus and he doesn't say, hey, it's easy for me because I saw Jesus. He's amazed that they saw, they haven't seen Jesus, but they love him. And just know this as we go through the things that you're going through, Jesus prayed for you. He prayed individually. For you, John chapter 17, verses 20, you should mark this in your Bible. Jesus is praying, and he prays this unbelievable prayer. And then he says in John 17, 20, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Jesus prayed not just for those who, that he knew he looked down he saw you and he was praying for those who did not see him physically on earth he prayed for you because of this great salvation it's, the struggle you're going through is not meant to trample out your faith but you need to fight for your faith by being remembering and recognizing this great salvation we have is connected to an unbelievable story so after he tells them this he says listen listen Just know this, verse 10, concerning this salvation, concerning this great salvation that you have, you're connected to a great story. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about this, the grace that was to be yours, searched and inquired carefully. Isaiah, Jeremiah, when they're writing Scripture, Moses in the Old Testament, they were the prophets, and they're writing about this, and they know the story of the Bible is this progressive story and they know there's a messiah coming they they want to know who it is and they can't figure it out and they're they're writing this out and they don't know who is the messiah and it says they inquired isaiah wanted to know who am i writing about jeremiah wanted to know who's he writing about he inquired he read he searched and god didn't tell him but he told them listen They inquired of what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you. The Old Testament, all those authors, they were writing these things. And Jesus, Peter says, listen, Christians today who don't see Jesus, what you're going through, the Old Testament prophets, they they wrote about the Messiah. You're part of this great story, this unfolding story of God. It's been written all through time. And the Old Testament prophets, they wanted to know what you know. But they were told, no, I'm not going to tell you. Because what you're doing is not for you. It's for us in 2016. It's for those who didn't see Jesus. So you fight for your faith by seeing that you're connected to this great story of Scripture. And it's in the Word of God. And that the Old Testament writers, they wanted to know what you know. And they were encouraged by that. And were surrounded by this great cloud of witnesses who are helping us persevere. So you fight for the joy and you fight for your faith by reading and being in the word of God. It strengthens you. And then through the Holy Spirit. He says, it was revealed to them in the things that it was not for themselves, but you. But they have been announced and preached the good news to you by the Holy Spirit, who John 15 says is the comforter. He comes along and he says, hey, I will reveal to you the truths of who Jesus Christ is. When you hear his word, the Holy Spirit speaks to you through his word. And even right now, the Holy Spirit asks him, open my eyes. Open my eyes. That's what the Holy Spirit wants to do. He wants you to see that what you're going through is not being wasted, And the truth of who Jesus is, is not a lie. And the Holy Spirit opens people's eyes to that. It's the word. It's the witness of the Holy Spirit. And then he adds this very interesting aspect. He says, listen, all these things about this great salvation that we have, this unbelievable salvation that we've been rescued, that we were lost without any hope and that Jesus came for us, and given us life, the angels long to look into that. You fight for your faith by being in the word, leaning and asking for the help of the Holy Spirit, and there's a wonder to Christianity. And it says the angels look at the salvation that we have, and they wonder at this. They long to peek into it. That's what it means. They're looking in. They're like, this is amazing. They, they've seen it. They don't need anybody to save them. They, 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 they look in and they, they peek in out the window saying, I want to see what this is going. This is so amazing to me that Jesus would die for these people. That Jesus died for them and he rose again and he's rescuing them. They, they're amazed by it. They, they want to see that. It's unbelievable wonder. It's kind of like a wedding. And this summer I had the privilege of doing two weddings from people from our church. Brandon back and his fiance Sarah and... Zane and Morgan's wedding, who are going to get married in our church in July here. And when there's a very wedding that people get married at, everybody comes in, you don't get to see the bride, usually. And the groom's up front, I'll be up here doing my thing. And there's a moment that the bridesmaids all come in, there's the music playing, and the doors get shut in the back. And then they open up, and the special music plays for the bride. But there's a moment when there's always the cheaters. They just want to see the bride. You know, they sit in the middle they want to see the bride and they want to peek. You know, you always stand up here and they everybody knows to stand. But then there's as soon as that music changes, people start to turn their head. They they want to catch a peek first of the bride. It's such an amazing thing that this person's giving their life to Zane. It'll be an amazing thing that that's happening. So we're all going to want to peek and see Morgan. Really, that's what you want to do. But we peek. People peek at that because there's a wonder to it and he says that's what happens with the angels they are so amazed by this that they they peek at it there's a they wonder about our salvation you're connected to a great story so when you're going through difficult struggles of various kinds you're not left alone you are connected to this unbelievable story you have the holy spirit and you have this cosmic group of angels who are looking down wondering wow They've been saved for their salvation. They've been rescued. But we have a greater thing than that. You're connected, and your story is connected to a great Christ. He says, concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours. And the grace that we have is Jesus Christ. Grace is not this thing. It's not this thing out there. Grace is a person. Grace only comes and is found in Jesus Christ. It's not this thing we pass around. It is a, not a substance. It's a reality of a person in Jesus Christ. Our hope is that Jesus Christ rose from the grave. A living hope, a real person, and that he loves us when we shouldn't be loved. When we've rejected him, rebelled against him, fought against him, didn't want to have anything to do with him. He still loved us and gave this unbelievable grace. He gave his life for us. And that's what we're connected to. That's what you're connected to in your story when you're struggling. And we're supposed to embrace our salvation and say, Yes, I can go through this, even though it's a various trial, because I have this living hope that is grounded in a person, Jesus Christ, who's done it all for me. And he loves me. And he's unbelievably faithful. Brennan Manning lived a interesting life. But one thing Brennan Manning did was he found the power of a great affection, greater than himself, and he found Jesus Christ and the love of God and it radically affected him, even through his conflicted life. But he was born, his name wasn't Brenning. It was Francis Xavier Manning. And he died a couple years ago, went to, to the military during the Korean conflict. He found a friend named Ray. They were both college dropouts, so they connected pretty quickly. They were in boot camp at two different places, but they got together, and they became very, very close friends. Francis and Ray Brennan. And they were in Korea. They would go to each other's families. They'd hang out together. They'd enjoy spending time together. And one night in Korea, they were in a foxhole, eating chocolate bar, passing it back and forth to each other, and a live grenade came into the foxhole. And in a moment... Ray Brennan looked at his friend, dove on top of the grenade, and was killed. And he turned around and he looked at his friend Francis and winked, and he died. Eventually, Francis went on to become a priest. And as part of becoming a priest, he had to change his name back then. He had to take a name of a saint, and all the good saints' names were taken, and they allowed them at that time to take on a new name. And who who would he take? So he took on the name Brennan, in reminder of his friend Ray. And Brennan Manning started to speak and eventually he he came out of the priesthood and he understood the grace of God and he accepted the grace of God and he talked about the grace of God and he talked about the love of God. And one day after a conference, he had this conference and he left and he told people about how much God loves them and all the grace that God has for them. Got into the airport and unbelievably started to feel all this self-doubt and Satan was saying to him, you're a liar. You told people to pray for hours. You haven't prayed for 10 minutes. You're a fool. You don't even believe this. And he sinked into this great depression, and so he drove up to Chicago where Mrs. Brennan was, the mother of Ray, and he goes, I'm just going to go talk to her, and he sat down, they started to meet with her, 80-year-old lady, sitting down talking to her, going through her life, unbelievable difficult life, and he's sitting there, they're watching TV, and eventually Brennan says to Mrs. Matt, to, to Mrs. Brennan, Francis says, do you, do you really think Ray, your son loved me. And Mrs. Brennan laughed and said, Oh, Francis, you're such a jokester. You're so, you're so kidding. And he goes, No. Do you really believe that Ray loved me? And this 81-year-old woman got up in his face and started yelling at him. And said, of course, he loved you. What more could he have done for you? What more could he have done for you? And Brennan Manning says, in that moment, he realized that that is the same thing God says to us. We're going through various trials and difficulties, and we wonder, does God love me? God's answer to us is, what more could he have done for you? Jesus died for you. He loves you. Your great salvation cost Jesus his life, but he rose from the dead. What more could he do for you? He loves you. So you keep persevering in your faith because God loves you, and you know God loves you because Jesus Christ is alive. You have this living hope. What more could he do for you? Nothing. He did everything that he could be done to show that he loves you. Maybe this morning, as we're preparing to come to the table, you've rejected Jesus. I want to just encourage you this morning to realize that Jesus does love you that much. He will forgive you of your sins. If you will commit your life, just pray, God, I commit my life to Jesus. Holy Spirit, help me to see and to believe. Or maybe this morning you are a Christian, but you struggle with how much God loves you. And you wonder, does he really love me? Look what I'm going through. I got all these trials, all these difficulties. How can God really love me? And that's when you need to go back to scripture and refresh yourself with the truth of the word, the power of the Holy Spirit, and the wonder that Jesus would love you that much and say, yes, he loves me. He loves me. What more could He do for me? I trust Him. And I will keep trusting Him with my life.
1: And He is jealous for me Love's like a hurricane I am a tree bending beneath the weight of his wind and mercy When all of a sudden I am unaware of these afflictions Eclipsed by glory And I realize just how beautiful you are And how great your affections are for me us oh how he loves us how he loves us all and he is jealous for me us all, oh, how He loves us, how He loves us all.